Yankees Files podcast. We are back. I'm Will Harris. You're Alec Whipple. And the rest of you are fans of the team that, in spite of past performance or recent performance, still has the best record in all of Major League Baseball. And that would be the famously good at baseball New York Yankees. Um, Whipple, I, I know we have plenty to get into today, but just, you know, as we stand right here, you know, wh- where are you at with this team? They're 29 and 12 recording this during the first game of the Orioles series. They, uh, you know, have had some underwhelming performances recently, but they still, uh, through 41 games are on a pace that prior Yankees teams, all prior Yankees teams that have started 29 and 12 or better have at least made the world series. And the majority of them have won it. So I know people have felt like the sky's falling recently. I just wanted to give that perspective. Whipple, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I think people are going to feel like the sky was falling the minute this team hit a road bump, just because uh, as we've touched upon before, there is kind of a, a collective trauma from last year, the last few years uh, with inconsistent play, but let's step back, take a breath and realize that the good pace, the incredible pace that this team kept up for about a month was not going to last at that current pace. I mean, that was just, you know, best team of all time type uh, performance from both sides of the ball. And I think this team is really good. I think this team is the best team in baseball. I'm still very confident in them, but every team loses a few games. I mean, the best teams of all time still lose about 50 to 60 games. So let's just recognize that this had to happen at some point. And even though it has happened slightly, I mean, losing three out of four games is not what I would call the sky falling, but there's still a lot of positives to take away from the last week, a week in which they still went four and three, still had a winning record. And, you know, that's pretty good in my book. And moving forward, I think, you know, there are some setbacks injury wise, but there's still a lot to be confident about. And I can't even believe I'm framing like that because they are, as you said, the best team in baseball on a pace that, you know, puts them in uh, rarefied air in terms of past Yankees teams. So we'll, we'll definitely touch on things that haven't gone as well, things that, you know, we think need to be improved just because we're analytical. We're looking at what's going wrong, what's going right each week. But big picture, I could not be more happy with where this team is. And, you know, despite a losing their first series in the last 10 series, they still had a winning week. They still had a lot of great performances, and in the macro sense, they are more than okay. I think a lot of teams would kill to have the problems that they have. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's exactly right. This is, you know, as as Yankee fans, I think we are prone to uh, complaining a little bit. I think that is endemic to this fan base. Um, I think as, you know, avid fans and people who are watching every game, we are very much in tune with, as you said, kind of the micro fluctuations that appear major at any given time. Um, But to your point, exactly. You know, this team is still playing at a 110 plus win pace and uh, we should be very pleased with the performance that they've put forth. Now, um, one thing I did want to mention uh, avid listener Matt Harris. Uh, first of all, congratulations on your graduation uh, from your master's program this weekend. But second, uh, he pointed out that we missed something critical in our discussion of Jose Trevino's walk that set up Aaron Judge's walk off against Toronto. And that was a quite an interesting fact, I thought, which is that Jose Trevino 
was Jordan Romano's catcher in college when they both played for Oral Roberts University. Did you have any idea that that connection existed? Absolutely not. When Matt told us, I was pretty shocked, but it's a pretty cool fun fact. Yeah, yeah. So I I found that pretty wild. And I think, um, you know, this is a good segue into something pretty cool that happened last week, which is you and I attended a Yankee game together for the first time since, what did we establish? It was 2015 against the Phillies? I think I think we said the 2016 Twins, yes. Michael Pineda, Irvin Santana showdown that you obviously all remember. Everyone. Of course, memorable game. Everyone remembers that game. So, you know, this was six years, almost exactly six calendar years in the making uh, since we had been to a game together. I mean, the entire Yankees tenure of a number of legends uh exists in that span um you know gary sanchez's whole career we missed i don't know how we did that but um we we had not been to a game together since 2016 and we went to the wednesday game against the orioles that the yankees won and uh it extended my streak of the yankees being undefeated in games i attend to 12 years uh whipple do you want to talk a little bit about the yankees performance in games you attend or would you rather gloss over that and just talk about uh your experience of going to the game together i would like to say that and i've made this point i i think i'm dying on a hill that people seem to keep murdering me on outside of fenway park the yankees have been pretty good when i've seen them just a few mistaken weeks in 2021 where i thought hey maybe it's a good idea to go to literally every game the yankees play at fenway and it didn't turn out so well for me or the yankees but um, you know, despite those setbacks, the Yankees are not bad when I see them in stadiums that aren't Fenway. I know, I know, I know. They're not perfect, but they won on Wednesday. And, you know, that's all I can do is just piece by piece start to establish, reestablish myself as not a curse. And even though we're probably about 10 games away from that happening by your definition, the least I could do is just take those small steps. I think if the Yankees lost, then I probably would quit this podcast. The lot was on the line for me personally as as a fan and just as a uh, a spirit, a, a good luck or bad luck charm in general. That's true. There was a lot on the line for you. So it's a good thing the Yankees won that game. Um, I, I will say that when the Orioles came back in against Garrett Cole, I was a little worried, not for the Yankees, but for... For myself and our friendship. Yes. Uh, Whipple, there's something we need to discuss, and I think you know what that thing is. I, wh- what are you referring to? Um, you recently uh, attended games at Yankee Stadium. Is that correct? Oh, okay. Yes. Yes, I attended game at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> I, I think, look, I think it's only fair for our followers to weigh in on this. Yeah, let's, so, let's each present our sides here, and then we'll ask the, the loyal listeners of Yankees Files to what they think. So on, I just want to make sure I have my dates right. It was Sunday, May 15th, correct? Is that the, no, the date that... you're a week, a week earlier. It was Sunday, May 8th. Yes. Yes, it was. It was because you promised that Giancarlo Stan wearing pink meant that he would have a multi-homer game, and he didn't. Um, so on Sunday, May 8th, you attended uh, – uh, you were at Yankee Stadium. Is that correct? It is, it is correct. And is it correct to say that you attended the entirety of the game in which Glaber Torres ultimately hit a walk-off home run? Yes, indeed. Is it true that another game was played after that game? 
That is true. And is it true that the ticket you had that got you into the first game was actually a ticket to the second game? That The ticket served both purposes. It was not purchased with the purpose of going to the second game, but... I believe you expressed an intent to go to the Friday and Sunday game. No, 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 no. Well, my ticket to the Friday game has not been redeemed yet, actually. You're... Exactly. Your ticket to the Sunday game, the second game of the doubleheader. No, no, the Sunday game was the first game. For what date did you need a ticket to attend a game at Yankee Stadium on Sunday, May 8th? May 8th. (laughs) Exactly. And how many games were played on Sunday, May 8th? Two. And how many games did you watch at Yankee Stadium at least part of on Sunday, May 8th? Two. Exactly. What was the Yankees' record in those games? One and one. One and one. And when you assess the Yankees' record in games you have attended this year, what do you claim their record on that day was? One and oh. And does that feel legitimate to you? (laughs) I will I will counter counter argue with the fact that Major League Baseball defines an official game as four and a half innings at least you know four and a half innings with or five innings depending on which team's ahead. Now I don't think going to a game you need to stay for that whole time. I would say you probably should stay for that whole time because you're not getting your money's worth. But in my situation, the ticket that I purchased or was purchased for me was for the first game. I expressed interest in seeing one or two innings of the second game before I drove back to my home in Washington, D.C. I did not stay to inning number three. I saw no runs scored. I left the game that I purchased the ticket for. And I I submit that if you, in this situation, if I had never intended to go to the second game, if my ticket was not for the second game, if I left the second game before it was even considered an official Major League Baseball game, I don't think that it counts as me being there, win, loss, or draw. So you are are you saying that you were not at the second game? I, I attended. You attended exactly. I, <laughs> exactly. Well, I, think, I, think, I think people. The question at hand is: Did I was was my presence at the second game considered me attending, or was it just me staying for an extra inning or two, and thus? Them losing cannot be attributed to me. Can I have been considered to see a loss if I didn't even see a run scored? If I stayed for two innings? Look, I, you, you had tickets to the Friday and Sunday games. Ultimately, your ticket to the Friday game got you into both games. Or your ticket, no, your ticket no. to the Sunday game got you into okay. both games. The Sunday yes. game was the first game of the doubleheader. The Friday game was the second game of the doubleheader. You had tickets to both those games. You fully intended to attend both those games. So, Ultimately, so, you did attend both of those games. You just had to leave one of them because you didn't want to get home too late. The Yankees <laughs> lost the game that you left early. You did see some of it get played. So I, I submit one more question before we close this. If I did not have tickets to the Friday game, if I just went to the Sunday game, if that was my original plan and I stayed for two innings, would this be a different scenario? No, the having tickets just further incriminates you. It doesn't absolve you <laughs> in any way. Um, so look, I mean, to anyone who's stayed through this cross-examination, answer us on Twitter. Let us know if you think Whipple has to count this as a loss in a game he's attended or not. Um, Whipple, I was talking to a former guest of our podcast the other day as Aaron Judge just tied the game with his second home run of the night. Love that guy. 
Um, I was talking to a former guest of this podcast, my dad, the other day, um, and he asked me an interesting question, and I've taken a deep dive into some of the statistics uh, since he asked this question, but I'd love to just hear your thoughts on it because my initial reaction was actually kind of confirmed by the statistics that I dove into. Um, my dad called me and he said, the boys are bopping. And he's correct, of course. Um, and, and your shirt that you wore to the Orioles game proves that, certainly. Um, he said, the boys are bopping and they weren't last year. But why? Um, and I, I'm just interested in what your response to that would have been if maybe another former podcast guest, say your dad, had posed that question to you. So your dad said the boys are bopping and they weren't last year, but why? Asking why they're hitting home runs this year and not last year, just so I understand. Just asking why the offense is performing better in the aggregate, really. I mean, it has to go back to what we say. They're hitting the, hitting the ball harder in the air. They're slugging more, but it's all about ground balls versus fly balls. And, you know, I think Judge and Stanton are hitting. Obviously, Judge is hitting better, but those two are performing well. It's about the group around them and the fact that they got, you know, hitters three through six are hitting fly balls, higher launch angle, harder for more extra base hits. I mean, think about how bad Glaber, DJ, Voight, et cetera, were last year compared to how Donaldson, Rizzo, um, Glaber and DJ again are performing this year. I think it comes down to that supporting cast that we said was so important going into the year. Yeah, absolutely. So that was that was my reaction. And I something I also said was that my inclination, although I wasn't certain about the statistics at that point, my inclination was that this Yankees team is very much a continuation of the team we saw after the trade deadline last year. If it just on mm -hmm. its face, does that sound like like it's you know, accurate to you. What What's your reaction yeah. to that? Ab absolutely. I mean, we've talked about after Rizzo and Gallo and, you know, at the beginning of the year, we said this team is not the team that started last year. It's the team that ended it. So, yes, I 100% agree. Yeah. So, ultimately, those things are exactly what's borne out here. So, I'm just going to run through some stats and we can talk about them. So, before July 30th last year, the Yankees were 53 and 48, which is a 524 winning percentage. Um, they were hitting ground balls 45% of the time. They were striking out 25% of the time, walking 11% of the time. They were 15th in the league in home runs. They had a 99 WRC plus as a team. The team slash line was 235, 323, 394, and that is a 717 OPS, which was 15th in the league. They were 21st in position player war, and only three positions, right field, DH, and catcher, uh, had positive or above average WRC pluses. They had six below average lineup spots. From July 30th on, they played at a 633 winning percentage. Uh, their ground ball rate dropped almost 10% by more than four percentage points. Um, their fly ball rate was up uh, just under 10%. Their line drive rate stayed basically the same. Their strikeout rate stayed basically the same. Walk rate was a bit down. Their 95 home runs in that span were second in the league. They moved from uh, 13th to 10th in WRC+. Plus. Uh, their slash line moved to 242, 321, 429. 429 was up 35 points from their prior slugging. That OPS ranked 
13th, um, and they were also 13th instead of 21st in position player war. They had six uh, lineup spots at which they were above average. Uh, Leaving that party was catcher, uh, thanks to Gary Sanchez getting COVID. Joining the party were first base, thanks to Anthony Rizzo. Shortstop, uh, thanks mostly actually to Gio Urshela, if you look into it. Left field, thanks to Gallo and center field. um, And of course, Judge and Stanton produced... um, 149 and 159 WRC pluses in that span. So that was six lineup spots that were above average. So the slash line, I'll remind you, was 242, 321, 429. Their slash line going into Sunday's games was 246, 327, 422. That's only a one point difference in OPS. So basically, what we've seen is a depressed offensive environment throughout the league, and the Yankees. Re- maintaining basically the exact level of production that they had from July 30th to the end of last year. Um, And even the breakdown is kind of similar. They have six lineup spots that are above average. Those are first base, second base, third base, center, right, and DH. Um, Five of those lineup spots have a WRC plus above 130, the only lineup spots that produced that last year were uh, right field and DH after July 30th. So um, they have eight and a half war, which is basically as many war as they produced in the first 101 games of last year. Uh, Their WRC plus as a team is 122. That's first in the league. Uh, Their 56 home runs going into Sunday's games were third in the league. Uh, They're striking out a little bit less, walking about the same amount. Their line drive rate is up. Their fly ball rate and ground ball rates are similar to what they were uh, after July 30th of last year. So it's, it's really what I found so interesting about this is the Yankees basically have shown a continuation of the offense that they were playing in the, you know, latter third of last season with, you know, certain differences, um, but instead of being kind of a top 30 to top 50% in the league uh, offense, they're the best offense in the league. And that speaks to the depressed offensive environment and the fact that when you have a bunch of guys who can hit the ball hard and hit home runs, even if it's a mush ball, um, you're going to produce really well. And I just found it really, really interesting that um, this team feels so different, but really we've actually had this team since last August in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, it really backs up what we've been saying, you know, since last August, that this is a different team. We said it coming to this year, as I referenced, and we've been saying it for the last few weeks. This is, you know, such a different offensive team, and that transformation started at the beginning of or middle of last year. But I think just their offensive approach this year, we've, we've touched on it before, but they're swinging really hard. They're hitting the ball really hard. They're chasing more. They're probably their plate discipline is probably slightly down. Um, but you know, the guys are hitting more home runs. They're hitting, going for more extra base hits The the good guys are hitting just as well or better than they've ever hit. But as, as I said, it's that middle, that middle group, the Glabers, the DJs, the, the Donaldson's coming in, um, that have really, the, the floor of this team has risen. And you can see that in these massive offensive outputs that they're putting up in certain games. 
I mean, this offense is not, you know, it's not the 2009 Yankees, but this offensive environment isn't 2009 either. For what's going on right now, they are far surpassing most of their peers in the league and just doing it at such a consistent level. And last year was so, it was so dragged down by what happened at the beginning of the year. But I've just been impressed, you know, the, this weekend aside, I mean, they've mostly pretty much every series, they're just finding a way to win close games, but they're also mixing in the blowouts that I think last year wasn't, that wasn't really happening, putting a huge strain on their bullpen and the rest of their pitching staff. But I've just really, I've enjoyed watching guys sell out for power. I mean, like that's, you know, you can only say it in so many ways, but they're probably losing a little bit off of batting average, but selling out just to hit the ball harder. You have to do that in this offensive environment. I mean, pitching is better than it's ever been. And the only way that hitters have been able to maintain some kind of balance with pitchers is to hit home runs. And when, you know, the juice ball disappears, that's when the offensive environment completely swings towards the pitchers. And it just becomes such a depressed offensive environment. The only way that you're going to be able to overcome that is to hit the ball hard. And the Yankees have kind of They've had this in the works for years, but I think we're really seeing it, the, the full extent of having a team built around guys like Stanton and Judge, um, as well as guys, you know, Rizzo, Donaldson, Glaber, who, who are hitting the ball probably harder than they have in a while. Um, but I think the big difference from the past is that they almost had guys who were just hitting the ball hard without much success otherwise. Uh, you know, they're... they're Guys were hitting home runs, but striking out a lot or not getting on base as much. But now you have guys balancing them out like Rizzo and Donaldson, who I think both are more complete hitters than, you know, the guys who probably occupied their previous their positions previously. Um, you know, Luke Voigt was kind of the prime example of this. I mean, we love the boys bopping, but Luke Voigt was just not getting it done last year. And he this lineup was very righty heavy, very strikeout heavy hit a few home runs, but just wasn't able to sustain the level of consistent performance. I think this is like almost the the perfect storm. The Yankees have the offensive pieces to succeed. They have the balance of guys who hit the ball hard, guys who get on base. Um, their their offensive approach has changed because they have Dylan Lawson coming in and you know whatever they've done to change the, the way they've just approached uh, hitting generally. And the offensive environment going down has honestly helped them because they've able to They've been able to rise in comparison to their peers. I mean, no one is at their level. And it's just, you know, with when you think about how good this pitching staff has been, which I think that's the level up from last, the even the end of last year. I mean, the pitching staff has leveled up. The offense hasn't lost anything from the last two months of last year. The le- rest of the league has stepped backwards. It's like the perfect storm for this iteration of the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Something that's interesting is that, you know, Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton have been the two best hitters on this team. Aaron Judge is hitting 325 and Giancarlo Stanton's hitting 291. Like, these are guys who are, sure, selling out for power, but just ripping balls all over the park. Aaron Judge just hit his 17th home run, although Garrett Cole uh, allowed the Orioles to break the tie by uh, giving up a home run to Ramon Urias. Uh, You know, these guys hitting for average and hitting for power are a dangerous combo. And um, it's just really impressive that in spite of the mush ball, in spite of everything, this offense has sustained its production from last year. And that's, you know, what has made them into the best offense in the league. Now, there are three positions at which the Yankees are below average. They're basically league average in left field, at least going into um, going into Sunday's games. They're 11% below average now 15 at shortstop 
um, and they're significantly, significantly below average at catcher. And I think we knew going into the season that we shouldn't expect anything out of the Yankees offensively at catcher, and that is what it is. But I have a problem with, <coughs> excuse me, with what's gone on at shortstop. Isaiah Connor Falefa is an awful awful Major League Baseball player. In fact, I struggle to even call him a Major League Baseball player. In his last 40 plate appearances coming into tonight, he was batting 286, which is 50 points better than the league average batting average. In spite of that, he was a below average offensive player in that time because he was also slugging 286, which meant that every hit he got in his last 40 plate appearances was a single. He started the season with a 36 WRC plus in his first 24 plate appearances. I believe there's also an 0 for 17 or a 1 for 17 baked in there. He then had 26 terrific plate appearances with a 190 WRC plus, but we know those were an aberration because he had a 476 BABIP, which he obviously can't keep up. In 89 appear plate appearances since then coming into tonight, he was a 72 WRC plus hitter. On top of that, he's a converted catcher playing every day at shortstop and has zero defensive runs saved and negative three outs above average. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa is not a serious option at shortstop for a team that fancies itself a contending team. Um, he's played poorly today and, uh, and uh, his season stats are down to, I believe, an 85 WRC plus. Um, this is just not a guy that the Yankees can seriously run out there all the time. All he does is hit ground balls. He chases, uh, he's, I think, 12th percentile in chase rate. Uh, he has not been a good defender at shortstop. Um, all the value that I was told he was going to provide has not come. I mean, at, at some point, when a guy that you acquired to hit for average and uh, play great defense is a negative defender hitting 260, I think you have to reconsider what, um, you know, what you're getting out of that guy. And I know that Oswald Peraza and Oswaldo Cabrera have not been hitting well in AAA, but, you know, Isaiah Conner-Falefa has a, an OPS of <laughs> 619. How much worse are they going to be than that? Like, I, I really think it's time. The Yankees did not invest a lot in Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. I understand he's cheap, and, you know, I'm not a fan of what they gave up to get him, but, um, you know, they, they don't need to be married to him in any respect. He is striking out 18% of the time. He doesn't walk. Uh, he has six extra base hits all year, and he's hitting 260. Like, what value is he providing? He'd basically have to hit 330 to be an above-average offensive player. I, I don't know why he is still getting so much playing time for this team. I think it shows how woefully unprepared they were at shortstop, and I think it's time to give one of the kids some playing time. Yeah, I mean, my frustration, and I was really frustrated with this, when you act like Anthony Volpe is going to be an addition for this year's team, and he's now batting 197, 316, 378, in double A, he's 21 years old. He had never played the level before. Completely, completely expected. I mean, I would be surprised if he was hitting, you know, anything better than that. Like, it's just an adjustment. The minor leagues in baseball are a process. And you can't treat minor leaguers in baseball as you can in basketball or football or, you know, kids coming from college or kids who had just gotten drafted. Just for the some reason, the Yankees decided to treat Anthony Volpe like he was, you know, the first round draft pick who was going to be an addition to this year's team. 
And what really frustrated me was that the promise of him was supposed to be the addition. And that's just BS in my opinion. That Like that is one completely unfair to put on a kid like that because, you know, you now have everybody. When I was in spring training, everybody knew Anthony Volpe. Everyone was, you know, really invested in every single plate appearance in a completely uncompetitive, you know, exhibition game. And he hasn't gone off to a great start. And now people are already saying that he's a bust. He's a failure. He needs development time. He's 21. His performance should not be related to anything we're talking about. And yet, because Isaiah Kiner-Falefa was made to be the shortstop, the stopgap. I mean, he was basically called that when he was signed or traded for it by the Yankees. When that was the label given to him, that was the situation that Volpe and Kiner-Falefa found themselves in. It was a lose-lose situation. And as you said... Kiner Falefa has some value, but he definitely doesn't have the value that he is described as having. Someone who hits for average, but doesn't hit for average. Someone who plays defense, but doesn't really play good defense. I mean, all the things that he said to do well, he can't do well. And my thing, my biggest frustration, I guess, is with the average, because in today's day and age, no one is hitting for average. So if you acquire an, you know, a small ball speed and defense guy they have to be basically the best guy in the league for me to be confident that they're going to be able to sustain those skills they can't be a guy who has barely hit 270 in the four years of his career before this I mean the expectations again for Kiner Falefa were so wildly out of whack like this isn't a shock if you look at what he's done before I mean we can expect him to be slightly better we can expect him to have those Babbitt field runs that you talked about do make some positive contributions and yes I do think having some level of bat to ball and speed on the bases is a good thing but I'd rather have that coming you know I'd rather have Tyler Wade as a bench player right now than you know have kind of Falefa as a shortstop starting every day because at least Tyler Wade was someone you could bring off the bench to utilize that speed I mean kind of Falefa is in the game and he is getting four at bats a game he is one of the you know he's a key contributor up the middle and it's just it's wildly out of balance what we're expecting from him versus what he can actually provide and if you think about it um and I don't know why people say this but you know it good teams are supposed to be very strong up the middle if you look at past Yankees teams that's definitely been the case um this is probably like the weakest Yankees team up the middle we've seen in quite some time when you factor in that all their strengths are on the corners and at DH um so it's hard for me to see how they're going to sustain that but I think the biggest thing is that, again, the Yankees are punting certain lineup spots. And I don't think it's okay to do for one spot. They have seemed to think it is. You certainly can't do it for two spots. Right now, they're basically doing it for three spots. So there's a, there's a larger issue here, and it definitely re- will require some offensive upgrades, whether internal or external. But going back to Kiner-Falefa, um, it's just it, it doesn't make sense for the player he is. It also makes even less sense when you consider – what he's supposed to be the stopgap to and what that timeline was supposed to be. I mean, the whole thing hasn't made sense from day one, and now we're seeing it negatively affect this year's team and potentially teams in the future, too. Yeah, I mean, Volpe is, what, like the 15th youngest player in AA or the fifth youngest player in AA? I mean, he's, he's one of the youngest guys in the entire level of the minors, so I think you're right on with that. If it were up to you given the internal options that the Yankees have both, you know, on the major league roster and in the minors, who would be the everyday shortstop? I think I would, I wouldn't get rid of kind of Falefa. I think Marwan Gonzalez would have been gone yesterday for me. And I would have brought up one of the kids and just given him yep. some opportunity and see what happens. You know, it can't be worse. I think Marwan Gonzalez being on this team is frustrating because he is honestly, yeah. he's kind of the same player as kind of Falefa in many respects. So you're basically 
you know, he's worse. Yeah, worse at, at his best. He's probably worse than Kiner Falefa. So get rid of him. Bring up one of the kids and just start subbing him in. I mean, who cares about service time? Like, let the kids play. I mean, we said this last year, and we'll say it again this year. There, the Yankees have really good depth in the minors that they just seem very hesitant to use at certain points. I don't know if that's a money thing, if it's just a trust in veterans versus prospects, but. They should use it. The last time they plugged in a bunch of young guys, it served them very well. A lot of issues with the guys that haven't didn't work out of the prospect level were not because they didn't get a chance to play, but because they didn't get a chance to play or they were called up and down. They were given inconsistent playing time. And this team is really strong at a lot of points in the lineup. Basically, six yep. guys who are incredibly strong. Let's take a chance. I'd rather take a chance, risk it on some other spots. Hopefully it hits off. And if it doesn't hit off, you're not going to do worse than you're already doing. So let's talk about the source of the roster flexibility that we've both kind of mentioned. So uh, Josh Donaldson is on the COVID IL. Kyle Higashioka is on the COVID IL. And uh, Joey Gallo is on the COVID IL. In addition, Chad Green is getting Tommy John surgery. Luis Heal is getting Tommy John surgery. Uh, Aroldis Chapman has not formally been put on the IL, but does have an Achilles thing going on, we learned. Um, am I missing any IL spots? I don't believe I am. No, you got him. So the Yankees, in response to all of this, have called up Ron Marinaccio, Miguel Andujar, Estevan Floreal, um, and let's see, they announced that J.P. Sears is going to start a game on Wednesday. Dave. David McKay. David McKay, he's, he's they up. called up and then sent down instead of sending Florial back down after right, the doubleheader. Right. But anyway, there's there's some roster flexibility here. And um, look, we know the Yankees don't necessarily believe in uh, Miguel Andujar as a third baseman. That's why Marwin Gonzalez is the starting third baseman here on Monday night. Um, but I I really agree with you. Look, the Yankees have an opportunity here to limit the damage in a pretty serious way. So... If they're comfortable playing Florial in left field, which I think they absolutely should be, uh, considering he's a strong defensive center fielder, they could run out a lineup that has Trevino behind home plate, Rizzo at first, Glaber at second, uh, one of the kids at shortstop, DJ at third, where we've learned he's a phenomenal defender, Florial in left, Judge in center, Stanton in right, um, they could even, you know, play Aaron Hicks if they want to and let Stanton DH and put Judge in right with Florial in left and Hicks in center, Hicks in left and Florial in center. You know, they have a wealth of options. And under that lineup, you can release Marwin Gonzalez because he's not providing any value that DJ LeMahieu, uh isn't providing or one of the kids isn't providing or Isaiah Connor-Falefa as a bench piece who can play shortstop isn't providing. Um, and you're really limiting the damage to the lineup. Now, look, it would take you know a willingness to use service time. It would take a willingness to lose Marwin Gonzalez because I'm sure he would not accept an assignment to the minor leagues. But at this point, I think you're exactly right. Like, why not give the guys a chance? They Marwin's OPS is in the fives. Kiner Falefa's is trending that way. Those guys don't need to be everyday players. And I know. No one's tested positive for COVID. Guys are on the aisle with symptoms. But, um, you know, is there, 
can you tell me why the Yankees shouldn't do what I was just describing? It feels to me like a no-brainer that they can, you know, put some young blood on this team, limit the number of spots in the lineup that they're punting on, and potentially get some contributions from young players. Yeah, I mean, it makes too much sense. And if the issue is service time, then that's that's a damn shame because we've already seen this team ham- handicapped by financial concerns um, based on how much they want to spend on their payroll. And if they're going to limit themselves in the other direction, then they're making it really hard for themselves when they have a really good team. Like this team is good in spite of their self handicaps in a lot of cases. And I do hope that Floreal is here to stay for a little bit based on the fact that he wasn't sent back down. I mean, that I think I said on a podcast, I did not think they were going to play Floreal and I happy to be proven wrong. I think giving him some chances while some guys are on the IL is, is just awesome. I hope that it leads to a little more extended runway for him because the last thing I want to see is more young guys ruined by what happened to some of the Yankees uh, prospects of the last few years. Yeah, and I think, you know, with Gallo on the COVID IL, with Hicks underperforming, there's real runway for Floreal here. I, I don't think that for Cabrera or Peraza, whoever they would bring up to occupy that infield spot in this scenario, um, I think that would really be kind of a, a short stint and sent back to the minors. But there's an opportunity for Floreal, who I think is in his last option year too, to really cement himself on this team. And that would be... That'd be really kind of an exciting thing to happen um so yeah I, I I'd really like to see it um I mean he provides everything that LaCastro provides and he's lefty so yeah why not he probably provides more offense um mm-hmm. so Whipple I think it's probably prudent for us to discuss um the loss of Chad Green so Chad Green's in his last year with the Yankees they announced that he's going to need Tommy John surgery um when I think about Chad Green's tenure with the Yankees, I think about him becoming an elite reliever in 2017, you know, a flamethrower in that multi-inning role, one of the most valuable pieces that a team could have, a huge part of that team contending. And, you know, it was up and down at times, especially in 2019, but he was an incredibly reliable uh, workhorse out of the bullpen for them for a long time. And I'm just really sad to see his tenure with the Yankees very likely to end in this way. Um, I don't know if you have any reflections on Chad Green, but I think it's important that, you know, we note just how good he was uh, for this team for a long time and, uh, you know, point out that he really is someone that they're going to miss coming out of the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, my my Chad Green memory. The, I mean, the first time we all ever heard of Chad Green was when Justin Wilson was traded for Luis Sessa and Chad Green. And I remember being like, who? Like, why did we trade one of our best lefty yeah. options out of the pen for two random dudes? And look what happened. I mean, Cashman knows all, and he got two really good relievers. Uh, shout out Luis Sessa, who was also undervalued and great. But Green really became a force. I mean, I was actually just reading an article about, like, his best Yankees moments and I forget how much he started in those early days I mean the fact they had a six inning 11 strikeout game against the Blue Jays in 2016 that was actually one of the best starts by game score that year for the Yankees I think possibly the best did you remember that at all no I have no recollection of that this is the first I'm hearing of that yeah no I mean I think we the probably serves that we all kind of tuned out baseball until Gary came up that August um in 2016 but he was so, he was nails for the 2017 team. I mean, I think everyone's going to remember the wild card game that year oh as the, probably the Chad Green memory. 
And he just did it again and again and again uh, with some blips in the road in 2019. Um, and then even last year, like, even though Chad Green is probably responsible for, like, my single worst moment as a baseball fan at Fenway, I really appreciated the fact that he just pitched so many innings last year. And the fact that he was kind of worn down by the end, um, I think it speaks to how great he was and how much they had to lean on him. And that wasn't a fault of his own. Um, he was, you know, I think I picked him as my reliever of the year coming into the year. It's kind of sad that he won't get a chance to fulfill that. But I am glad that they have, you know, the new Chad Green and Michael King, basically. But it's it's kind of it's a shame that the old Chad Green didn't get to stick around, um, especially given the timing of where he is, you know, going into free agency. That's just we saw it happen with Batances as well, just cutting into what they can earn on the market. Really unfortunate. Yeah, not dissimilar to what happened to Tommy Canely either. Really, Mm -hmm. really unfortunate. And just the guy who's been one of the best relievers in the league since 2017. And I think, um, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't take some time to talk about him because, you know, (laughs) there won't be much to talk about with Chad Green for the rest of the year. Um, So thank you, Chad Green. Uh, He's a guy who I wouldn't mind the Yankees taking a flyer on in free agency. Um, Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, coming back from Tommy John is – a risky proposition and different guys uh, experience it differently. And um, I hope that it goes well for Chad um, Whipple. I, <laughs> we've had a lot to discuss from roster construction to why this team is more successful than prior years teams to how bad Isaiah Kiner Falefa is to our experience of going to that game last Wednesday together. We have hardly talked about, you know, the other things going on in Yankee land. Um, there are some games that are probably worth talking about and some that I'd rather not talk about. But um, one thing that I think we should definitely discuss is the the pitching performances that the Yankees got out of Luis Severino and Jamison Tyone during Sunday's doubleheaders. I know those games didn't ultimately go the way we were hoping they would, but those guys, both of them, have been incredible this year. And when you think of them as... I don't know whether you think of them as second and third starters, third and fourth starters, second and fourth starters, second and fifth starters, you know, however you want to frame it. Those guys have been phenomenal and they've been a huge part of the Yankees success. I think the Sunday evening game was the first time the Yankees lost a game that Luis Severino started this year. Uh, He's got a 3.02 ERA and a 3.67 FIP. I mean, the guy might be getting a tiny bit lucky, but he's just really, really good. His expected ERA is actually even lower than his realized ERA. Like, Luis Severino's been phenomenal, and for him to come back from what he came back from and after basically three years away from baseball to just be dominant is really, really impressive. Yeah, as somebody said on uh, Twitter that watching Severino dominate the White Sox reminded him of, like, Sunday night baseball in the 20 in 2017 2018 and that I just yeah I think it was Gabe yeah it was playoff Tanaka Yankees files guest shout out Gabe it was just such a great tweet that really just brought me back because yeah I mean that that was the Yankees in 2017 when they were really rising it was Severino just coming out of nowhere and dominating in big spots and I mean that's what he did on on Sunday it kind of felt like back to the old days um and in his longest outing probably maybe his best outing um definitely one of his most impressive it's great just great to see him give some length again and get you know just he really was just dominant getting out of some tough situations uh yeah my another great yankees uh meme that or meme going around twitter is the 
when when they adjust the savant page to like read you know like grit like swag yeah got the dog in him Luis Severino's got everything and he's just he's yeah he's 100th percentile dog in he's him. most electric guy on the team I mean the the roar that he gets when he gets out of big situations like just completely just so fun to watch uh, but I also think Tyon is maybe even more impressive to me and it's ever since I mean we really didn't we didn't realize it at the time but that start against Philly last year where he gave up four runs before getting or getting one out giving up four runs then for the rest of the year you really went back to the drawing board changed his approach the rest of the year had a 3.46 era um he won the pitcher of the month in july and then this year with the 2.95 era he is just completely a different pitcher than he was at the beginning of last year really really impressive um and you know he's he's limiting he he's limiting his walks he's keeping the ball on the ground he's striking out a decent amount of guys but just managing contact really well um his strikeout i mean he's not he's not just limiting <laughs> his walks he he was walking 2.75 guys per 9 last year it's one this year yeah si- one. 6 one he doesn't walk anyone 6.8 strikeouts for every walk and that's really it's just incredible job every time he goes out you know he's going to give you a good outing and that we last June, I mean, we were talking about him as a major problem. To have that quick of a turnaround is honestly one of the most impressive things I've seen from a Yankees pitcher in recent years. And we're watching Nestor Cortez pitch, so that says something. Yeah, and I mean, this is a guy eighty-one ERA minus, eighty-one FIP minus. He's he's been incredible, and he's been one of the most reliable pitchers on this team. And the fact that the Yankees turned him around, or he turned things around in the way that. Uh, you know, things have turned around is is really impressive. He's not giving up home runs at anything like the rate he was last year. I mean, everything about Jamison Tyone's improvement is really good. And what's crazy is he's giving up a higher BABIP than he basically ever has before. So in spite of some rather unfortunate batted ball luck, that would indicate Jamison Tyone's been nails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just, you know, it's across the board like like you said. There's no there's no red flag. I mean, his FIP is 322. Uh, last year's FIP was 443. Th- um his his overall ERA was definitely inflated by the beginning, but kind of like with the Yankees, the second half tie-on is he's rolling over into this year's first half and I just, you know, looking ahead, I hope they find a way to keep him I past this year. I just think he is a really valuable pitcher to have. I, I like that trade when they did it, and I'm glad that, you know, he's lived up to our expectations, even if it took a few extra months. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, Whipple, um, if there's, you know, I think we, we've talked about a lot of things. Uh, I think we should address the elephant in the room, which is, as you said, the Yankees for their first time in, what was it, 10 series lost uh, a series to the White Sox. It was the first series they lost at home all year. Um not happy about it, but it's the kind of thing you can survive when you're the best team in baseball. They won the season series against a presumptive division winner. I think that's really all you can ask for. Um, anything to add there? I mean, they had one bad day. It happens to everyone. Yep. Um, I just it ha- literally happens to every team. Like, look at every single other team in baseball. And aside from the Yankees series against the Orioles at the beginning of the year, I don't think there was one series where we said that we were disappointed with how the Yankees performed. And it's almost June, so nothing more to say than that. Um, just literally, you know, four, 24 hours of bad baseball, and we'll see, you know, how they respond in this series. But 
like we've referenced before, they have built themselves up a nice cushion. Not every game is a must-win game. We would like them to win as many games as possible. Some games are more important than others, but we're not in panic mode. There's no, the sky is falling. I think that addressing issues with the team like we have and looking at how they can fix them is definitely valid. Saying that you know the season is falling apart is not really valid when most of the power rankings haven't even moved them down. So that shows you how all the other talent evaluators are addressing or evaluating the situation. Absolutely. So, um, I think there's there's only one place to go from there, and that's to rate our confidence in this team. So, you know, notably, we were both at 10s last week. Uh, Ryan was as well. And, you know, another thing I discussed with my dad was, where do, you, where do you go from 10? And what does it mean if the Yankees keep playing well and you were already at a 10? What does it mean if they start playing poorly? What does that say about your ranking them at a 10 before and I think it'll be interesting to see how we both evaluate the way this last week went and the positioning of this team moving forward so one to ten what are you thinking it is an interesting question and one that we've obviously never dealt with because we've never ranked them a 10 so we've never had an episode after ranking them a 10 it's like I feel like it's like the morning after like you know you were out partying all night and you're like now we're like what do we do like we're trying to pick up the pieces like you know we're what do we do moving forward? Like, what were we saying last week? I don't remember what I said on this podcast. Definitely some emotions, you know, that were coming out on the pod uh, to be expected for sure. Um, now that we're back sober again and things haven't gone as well, I'm just going to say that this team is still, you know, they went four and three. They took the season series against the White Sox. They won three out of four against the Orioles. And I'm evaluating based on those games. And I mean, I don't think I can move them down unless something has caused me to lose my confidence, and that just hasn't happened. I mean, all the things I think this team did well, I think they're still doing well. All the things that I think they need to improve on, you know, they have improved on some, they haven't improved on others. There's no, you know, red flags going up. Some guys going on the COVID IL is not a cause for concern for me. Chad Green going down is annoying. It's frustrating, but they also have a lot of bullpen depth. That's the area I'm, perhaps I'm, which I'm least concerned. But let's look at the positives. Aaron Judge is a literal god. Giancarlo Stanton is hitting over 300, leading the league in RBIs. Um, Rizzo Donaldson, who is hitting very well. Glaber and DJ. DJ had a big moment this weekend. The starting pitching still absolutely nails. Even Garrett Cole tonight. I mean, he didn't have his best stuff, didn't have his best outing. Still struck out 10, still gave them seven innings. Such a high floor and high ceiling with that, the starting staff. I'm just, I can't move them down, and, and that's how I'm going to approach this. I can't move them down until something causes me to have, you know, less confidence. If there has to be something that rolls back some area of what I thought about this team, that doesn't even involve wins and losses. It just involves concerning elements or things that I think fundamentally change. One bad doubleheader does not change that for me. So I'm going to stay at a 10 for this week. I like that. I respect that a lot. Um, I think last year I was probably the more like temperate one when it came to rating my confidence in the team. I, I would say that if we looked back, you probably had more fluctuations than than I did. Am I yeah. do you feel last like I'm year remembering was a stressful that year, man? Oh yeah. Last year as I said, up and down year. It was it was really spin the wheel and you that whatever it lands, that's the attitude we came onto the pod with. There was never back to back weeks of having the same attitude on the pod. Yeah. And I think I'm kind of bucking that trend this year, which is funny because 
the the stats would tell me that I should I should stay the course and I'm not gonna knock them down far but um I don't like the way they're positioned going into a four game road series with Tampa um I don't like that they're playing poorly I don't like that Garrett Cole gave up five runs tonight to a bad offense I mean an adequate offense but but to a bad team um I don't like that Nobody except Aaron Judge has been hitting in the last few days. Um, I don't like that, uh, you know, they seem poised to start Marwin Gonzalez four times in this Rays series. I don't like that we're still not getting anything out of Aaron Hicks. I don't like that Chad Green is hurt. Um, I don't like that uh, they've had to play so many games in so few days. Like, I'm I'm worried about the extent to which the events of the last few weeks in the number of games they've had to play in the number of days in the COVID IL stints in the way that they insist on constructing the roster and the lineups. Um, I don't like the way those things shape up going into their first meeting with the Rays this year. So I'm not going to go down far. They're still the best team in baseball. I still have immense confidence in them, but I do feel like it warrants that me going down to uh, to a nine and a half. Uh, I'm not happy about it. Um, and I, I don't even consider it as much a reaction to what happened in the White Sox series as just like, you know, people not named Aaron Judge need to contribute. I don't like the kind of availability of guys on the roster. I'd be much happier if uh, Josh Donaldson and Joey Gallo were available, and I'd be much happier if they were handling their absence in different ways. Um I'd love to see them go down to Tampa and just kick the Rays around a little bit. I think that would be phenomenal, and I don't think it's out of the question. But, um, you know, I, given the events that have transpired, I don't think I can honestly say I'm as confident as I was when we were recording uh, last Sunday night. And I think that's fine. Like, this is, this is the no, best fair. team in baseball. It's a team that I have a lot of confidence in. I'm just not feeling quite as good as I was then, and I want to reflect that. Yeah, I mean, I think we talk about regression to the mean a lot, and the Yankees have been pulled back in the other direction, which is a nice change of pace from when we were saying, you know, stay the course, they're going to figure it out. But in my opinion, no, if this is baseball at its worst, and it's, I think it's going to get better from here, it's not too bad. You know, a new week could prove me wrong. Uh, I hope it doesn't. I hope they go, as you say, go, they go down in Tampa and slap the Rays around but um, for now given what's happened this last week I'm I'm still very confident there's a lot of things going right and I I think given what I've seen this year that they're going to turn it around but you know a nine and going down to a nine and a half is a good feeling to be able to say that for you too exactly exactly so look Whipple people can follow us on Twitter at Yankees Files they absolutely should we recently hit a thousand followers so thank you everyone for that they can listen to our podcasts anywhere podcasts are published um, Apple Podcasts Spotify Google like literally anywhere um, and you should rate review subscribe if you feel so inclined I think that would be cool of you um, they can keep up with us at yankeesfiles.com where I'm going to have a piece going up uh, hopefully later this week um, which should cover a lot of the things that we discussed in this podcast. And, um, you know, with that, do you have any parting shots? Yeah, best news of the day for me personally was that the uh, Yankees Yoda bobblehead rescheduled date was actually rescheduled to a day where the person I was going to go to the game with the first time is going with his fiance. So she's going to get me a bobblehead and, you know, the balance in the universe is restored. 
uh, maybe that's why my confidence is at a 10 because I was really upset about potentially missing that bobblehead because of the rain out. So the fact that I got one, you know, I'm still I'm still all in on this team. I'm still all in on bobbleheads. And it's going to be as we move into Memorial Day weekend, I, you know, I'm still in on a fun summer. One other thing is that um, a baseball adage is that Memorial Day is when the standings really count for the first time. So I like the Yankees being in first place, hopefully at the end of Memorial Day weekend. We'll see if it can actually happen. Um, need a good week of baseball against a good team in Tampa to make it happen. That would be awesome. Well, Whipple, it was a pleasure as always. Uh, again, people can keep up with us at yankeesfiles.com. Uh, we are at Yankees Files on Twitter. They can follow the podcast. And, um, you know, we're going to be back here generally same time, probably philosophically, emotionally uh, on the Internet, same place uh, next week. And until then, let's go Yankees. 